Yeah. So I realized in episode nine, I said that episode 10 would be about using insulin more boldly. But I got an opportunity to speak with one of my favorite blog readers who's a D-mom. And I thought that Anna's story would be really interesting and that you would enjoy hearing a conversation with her. So instead of being bold with insulin, which I promise will be next week in episode 11, instead of that, uh, episode 10 of the Juicebox podcast, and by the way, welcome to episode 10 of the Juicebox podcast, is a conversation with a fellow D parent called Anna Hutton. And you'll notice I said called Anna Hutton because I am all wound up in the different British colloquialisms that Anna used during the conversation. I, uh, I think you should get a tick sheet out and, and uh, write down a dash or a number every time Anna uses a word in a way that you probably wouldn't here in America. Anyway, Anna is Teddy's mom. Teddy is a delightful six-year-old boy, and, um, and he was diagnosed when he was three. Uh, you have to be sure to go back to juiceboxpodcast.com or ardensday.com when the episode's over and check out the pictures that Anna sent me of her house and you'll see why as you're listening. All right, that's pretty much it. This is episode 10 of the Juicebox Podcast. Um, what should we call it? Teddy's mum? Let's call it that. Here we go. This is Anna Hutton and I'm Teddy's mum and you're listening to the Juicebox. Okay. Give me just a little talking real quick. Um, it's been a really beautiful day here today, uh, Easter Monday. Nice. I hear you haven't got any blossom there. It really is terribly brown here still. <laughs> a little bit of the Easter flowers came up, but not as much as I would be accustomed to by this time of year. Yeah. yeah it's, I... the same, it's the same here. It's been a bit cold. Here's my theory, Anna. Al Gore tried his hardest to explain to us all about global warming. Mm -hmm. None of us listened to him. We laughed at him. He gained 100 pounds and his wife left him. I think he's mad at <laughs> us. I think he's angry at all of us. And I think he has a secret weather machine. And until we apologize to him, this is going to keep happening. I'll say sorry. You think that? I would yeah. too. I would absolutely. I would absolutely. I felt bad because after he gained the weight, he was forced to grow very bad facial hair to try to cover oh, it. And, I didn't uh, know about any of that. We so. ruined his life. We really did. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, listen, we can just get started whenever you want to. Okay, that's fine. I'll tell you what. Let's um, let's start with you just introducing yourself. Okay, well, my name's Anna. I'm, I live in England. I'm actually Scottish. Um, and I've got three children. I live here with my partner, Tom. And my son, Teddy, is six. He was diagnosed three years ago to this month um, when he was three with type one. Um, my little girl, Mary, was one at the time. And they've got an older brother, too. Are Mary and Teddy twins? No. No, no, no. Mary was one, Teddy three at diagnosis, and then his elder brother was five at that point. What led you to realize that, that Teddy had type one? Is it a doctor that told you? Or did you figure it out ahead of time? He, uh, he was, the, the thing that really made me look into it was he was drinking water mm -hmm. excessively. Uh, he was weighing a lot, going to the toilet during the night, but he was picking up a cup of water and downing it and putting it straight back down and asking for more. And you do that three times in a row. 
And then he was getting up at night. We could hear him drinking out of the tap in the bathroom. Um, I hadn't noticed, but he he did lose a lot of weight. He was thin and pale, but I didn't really sort of notice that bit. Um, so, of course, I think a lot of people say they, they went on Google and um, you sort of get the news you don't really want to have when you start reading about excessive thirst and weighing a lot. Um, so I took him straight to the, our doctor who finger pricked him, you know, within seconds of me telling her the symptoms and he was off the meter high. And I mean, that was it. She said, either I phone an ambulance now or you drive him yeah. straight to hospital. And he was in for three nights, but he wasn't ill. He he didn't, he, you know, he wasn't actually, you know, he hadn't got ill. Thank goodness. We got, we got him there in time. Um, and that was and the that, beginning. That's three years ago, and he's three years old at that time. Now, when you leave the, yeah, I'm going to probably use phrasings that that aren't quite right for where you live, but um, your hospitals are 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 government run. Is that right? And yeah, when, the NHS. The NHS. And cool. when when he leaves yeah. the hospital, um, did you leave with needles? Did you leave with pens? Or they, Everything. but they started you with Everything. injections. Is that right? Injections, yeah, nighttime and daytime, Novarapid and Levomir. Um, we had not enough um, <laughs> test strips, <laughs> which seems to be, uh, it was a problem for the first two years of Teddy's diabetes that they just don't give you enough, enough test strips. Um, and we had a lot of support. The nurse came out to, it's, it's really the nurse that gives you the support. I had the nurse's mobile number and he provided, he, he was diabetic okay. himself, which I think was like a yeah, lifeline absolutely. for us because I could see that he was a grown man and he was alive and well. And I think that sort of got me through a lot of the first bit because, you know, you, you just feel so scared that something really awful is going to happen. Um, any minute and to see someone who was doing well with type one he was diagnosed when he was nine um really meant a lot to me and he he, he really sort of provided a lot of emotional support at the beginning as well as all the practical and help it, it, that you need it's easier to take that advice from someone to from someone when they have type one themselves like it, it seems like it's not just theoretical doctoring but it's somebody who really knows you know, the, the ins and outs of it. And so I imagine him, the nurse having type one also really lessened your fear. Did it allow you to take the advice easier too? Was there less skepticism when something was said to you? I, I wasn't ever skeptical about sense. what he said, um, but I was skeptical about what all the <laughs> other professionals in the hospital said. And um, you know, that the, the um, you call them endos um the, the pedi pediatric doctor we had, um, they just spoke another language and they didn't seem to know what a three-year-old boy did on a daily basis, you know, all the leaping about they do and the, you know, that just the, the way a child lives just didn't, they, they did it, you know, they, they told me what to do by the book, but the book doesn't apply to an individual Yeah, there's almost no by the book for diabetes. And to your point, I've always when Arden was younger, I was really surprised by that attitude of like, you know, you could just pre-bolus the meals and that would really give you, which by the way, we do now because we have a Dexcom and we can do that. But when my two-year-old was getting ready to eat, 
I never knew how much she was going to eat or if she'd finish her meal. And they would just say it so matter-of-factly, like, give them the insulin ahead of time. Like, well, what if she doesn't eat anything? Oh you you know, then what do I do? And, like, to your point, it was like they never watched a kid have lunch before or something, you know? Yeah. No, I know. You'd have to say they, they'll they eat a bit and then change their mind or they'll want second helpings or, yeah, they just didn't know what a child right. did. And um, so this is where the nurse came in because he, exactly. he understood. Now, um, now you yeah. live – do you, you don't – you don't exactly live in the hub of, of like you're kind of out. Are you out in the middle of nowhere? How would you describe like your, your living arrangement? We're in the countryside and we live not near any other houses, but actually we're only 15, 20 minutes away from a hospital. Um, so that's good. Um, but our life is all about being outdoors and running around outside. And I mean, the first thing that I wanted to do when we got Teddy out of hospital was get him on his bike outside. And um, it just seemed like the biggest hurdle to overcome was to sort of take him outdoors and get him on his bike because it just felt so frightening, feeling like you had to carry all that stuff with you that you just couldn't believe you needed to carry all his whole kit. Um so, but from day one, we got home, we got him out on his bike. And again, the nurse said, that was brave of you, but that is like one of the most important things you could have done because that was sort of a sure fit sort of forwards. Yeah, well, uh, your, and your point is, is excellent too, because I was scared to go on car rides that were more than like 10 minutes from my house for a long time. <laughs> and, and I don't know why that went. Now yeah. I was by myself with Arden when she was diagnosed because I, because being a stay at home dad, but I don't know. There was just this feeling like I don't want to drive too far. And and now I look back on that. I'm like, that was ridiculous. Like, why did it matter if I was in the car for five minutes or an hour? Or, you know, um, but I really did have that overwhelming fear. There were so many things that you just kind of thought, well, we won't do that right now. Not until we understand it better. No. Or you're, you sounds like you didn't have that feeling. Like you just went out there and you're like, I'm going to keep going and, and do what we normally do. No, I was really, really scared and I felt very unsafe. And I think that's when you want to just stay at home and, and just to at least have something familiar around you. But I knew that, um, I just knew that we had to push through that fear, I suppose, and just get get on with it. But car rides for me were difficult, like you say, because if you're on your own in the car with your child, you can't test them mm -hmm. when you're driving. And I remember one journey I took was 15 minutes and I tested him before we left and he was fine. And then he was very, very low when I pulled up in the car park and it gave me such a fright because I thought, you know, you can't, you can't check your child's blood sugar when you're no, driving, I, can I, you? Um, but there was this one time, I, I don't know how old Arden was, but it was before she was in school and I really want to say like it was, she was four and we were going home and we were just to, just about to our house and she said she felt dizzy and she want and she wanted ice cream. Mm. She was very specific that she wanted ice cream. And I said, Oh, we have ice cream in the house. That's going to be great. And she said, no, no, no. She wanted like soft serve, like from an ice cream stand. And I started mm -hmm. to say, no, no, it's okay. We have ice cream in the house. And I could see her getting competitive. And I thought, you know what? There's a soft serve stand across town. It'll take me maybe four minutes to get there. And I drove like a lunatic. And, and wouldn't you know, I got, pulled over by a police officer for speeding. Oh, and so I'm hanging out of the window as he's walking, you know, he's sauntering up to the car <laughs> and I'm hanging out the window yelling, 
my daughter has type 1 diabetes. Her blood sugar is low. I have to give her food. I need to get out of the car. Like, I have my hands out of the car. Like, don't shoot me. I need to get out of the car. <laughs> and so I'm get, I, I'm like, I have to test her blood sugar. I'm getting out of the car, and, and I, I test her, and I don't remember. She was low enough that I'm, I, I asked her to drink juice. But the police officer, and of all the people in the world to not understand, he didn't understand any of the 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 immediacy of of my need you, you know and i was like look her blood sugar is really low we were on our way to food you know i need to stand outside of the car i'm talking to her you know and i started explaining what could happen he looked in the car he saw her meter he he, he knew i wasn't lying still took my driver's license went back radioed in to make sure i didn't have any i guess outstanding warrants or you know whatever he was going to pull me over in the you know uh, you know mm-hmm. a middle-aged guy with a little baby in the middle of the day i don't know what he thought i was doing exactly and he came back to the car and he said, okay, go ahead and take her to the, you know, go ahead and go. And I did. I got her to the, you know, the ice cream. She had some juice and some ice cream. Everything was fine. And two weeks later, I got a ticket in the mail. He wrote me a speeding ticket. <laughs> and I thought, wow, you ass. <laughs> but oh. I did I did go to court and fight it and got out of it. But, yeah, but, but I just, oh, it's that in the car thing. Like, I couldn't have, like, if she would have been that low in my house, it wouldn't have felt the same way for some reason. There's something about being in the car yeah. that's extra frightening for some reason. Looking in your rear view mirror and seeing what you think is right. a pale Right, or the face. dark circles under the eyes. Or, you know, you're trying, especially <laughs> when they're little. You know, I never, when someone tells you yeah. dark circles mean low, but it could also mean high. I'm like, it also means tired. Like, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. <laughs> Well, they fall. The thing is, they fall asleep on car journeys as well. Yep. So that's really scary because then they're lying there, you know, asleep, and you're thinking, right, are they asleep or if they just passed out? No, but it, all those, all those fears sort of diminish, don't they? They yeah. they get less and less. It, it and, does. It gets. It, you know, it, it's a lesson that's so hard to to pass on to people who are more newly diagnosed. That all that, all that fear and anxiety, it actually does go away at some point. You just have to live through enough enough of these moments till you, you can really make sense of them mm-hmm. on your own. So you don't worry about that as much anymore, I would imagine, because you're not using the same technologies when Teddy was was diagnosed, right? So are you you're not he doesn't use injections any longer? No, we um we got him onto Omnipod um within a year okay. of diagnosis, which is pretty good um here for the system that there is with the NHS. I knew I wanted Omnipod. Uh, that's because I was reading your blog. Oh, um, yeah. And the hospital that we were at, I wasn't very happy with the doctors we were seeing there. And they also didn't offer pumps, any pumps at all at the hospital. So I transferred to a different hospital, which is a bit further away. Um, and they had quite a range of pumps. And I knew I wanted Omnipod. And, and, and they and didn't that's fight you got. at all when you said, I know which one I want. They were they were okay with that? No, they didn't. I mean, they did, they did try to sort of sell me, not sell me, you know, money-wise. But, um, yeah, towards some of the other ones. And I kept saying he's, well... That I, I was sort of familiar with the way it worked, but also he's a very, very active little boy. He loves sort of rolling around, wrestling with his brother. And I never could figure out how, you know, a, a pump that had tubes and things would yeah. would work with him because um, they said nothing would happen. But I, I mean, I just, I couldn't believe it. And someone said, well, you can put loads of tape around the, you know, around his waist over and over and over again, and that holds it all together. But I just knew for him and his lifestyle that 
we needed it to be tubeless and, and wireless. And that, so that's something, so this is interesting for me. So that's something you learned from reading a blog and it was my blog. Mm. And, and so mm-hmm. when did you find the diabetes community online? How soon after diagnosis? Uh, probably the first few weeks um, because I needed, I didn't know anybody um, with type 1. I'd never heard of it really. I mean, I, I didn't know anything about type 1 myself. Um, and that means you've not got any support, do you? Because the only person who knows what it's like is the person who either has it or the person who's caring for them. So I had to sort of find at least someone who had type 1 that that I could sort of relate to. So, yeah, the first few weeks I I was Googling type 1 children with type 1. So you came up and there was a couple of um, UK blogs as well that I was reading. You know, this seems like a great time to take a quick break to remind you that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast or read on Ardensday.com is considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always, always, always speak to a doctor before making a change to you or a loved one's medical plan. What else can we talk about real quick? Uh, social media, Juicebox Podcast and Arden's Day. It's at Arden's Day, at Juicebox Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You should give us a follow. Please subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. Subscribers get the shows quicker than non-subscribers. And what else? Uh, Juiceboxpodcast.com, Ardensday.com for the blog. And uh, this is not advice. So we've gone over everything, I think. Let's get right back to talking to Anna. How does it... Um, I mean, I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like I'm trying to say, "Oh, my blog was great." You could have found it. You could have found any blog. But can you describe? Because you're, because you send me emails, pretty frequently, a couple of times a year that are so heartwarming and touching. Um, but I, I, I'd like you to be able to pass along in your own words to other people, like what it means to find, um, that commonality over the internet, and 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 how that's helped you. Can you describe a couple of ways that just finding somebody else out in the world has has assisted you and Teddy? Yeah, well, you. Um, I think your blog helped me because, first of all, you, you were talking a lot at the time about basically Arden's days and her BGs and her hypos and stuff that was happening going wrong, stuff that was going right. So it was all the practical stuff that uh, I could see all those things happening to us every day. Um, you know, and, and, and that was sort of a window onto a world that, you know, made me feel like maybe it, we could manage, you know, because we weren't the only people in the world who were going through this. Um, so practically, you were giving, I know you don't, it's not medical advice, but you were giving, you were letting people know what actions you were taking um, with, with, you know, with Arden, depending on what she was up to, how you were treating her lows and, you know, a few little sort of nifty things you do. Um, but also you, you were sort of complaining about not sleeping and the worry and the food and um, all the stuff that that I, you know, was struggling with, and just knowing that someone else is struggling is, I think, sort of quite empowering in a way because you, you know you're not on your own. It, so suddenly you can cope with it, it a bit such better. A strange, 
I mean, I would call it an absolute fact after having written a blog for so long, but it's such a strange thing that I would not have expected prior to becoming a, you know, a diabetes blogger and talking about these sorts of things out in the public. But man, it really is when you see somebody else going through the same thing as you, it doesn't even matter if it's knocking them down too. Like all of a sudden you think, well, look, they're still alive. You know, I can do it. It really is. It's a so it, mm-hmm. it's such a simple yet very complex relationship when when you reach out into the world, find a stranger, and say, "Wow, look, they have all the same problems I have, and they don't know what they're doing half the time either, and they're still going." Maybe I could. Maybe I can keep going too. Yeah, I I think it's mm-hmm. it's really. I can tell you that I when when I get your emails, I'm absolutely touched in a way that I know I'm I'm never properly explain to you when I, when I eat, when I email back to you. Um, but it really is, it means the world to me. So if, if, um, I'm sure other people who write blogs or share about things like this online would say the same thing, but you help me more than I help you. And I know that's maybe not easy to reconcile, but, but I really appreciate that you read and that you, that you let me know what's going on with Teddy. I, I, I love. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I, I appreciate I think one of one of the things that really sort of um, makes a huge difference is is the sort of not sleeping thing, being up at night and feeling like you know surely this can't go on. Surely, all the all the sort of the medical people at the beginning and family and friends they'd sort of think Teddy was going to stabilise and and that there's no sleeping thing was just a temporary thing, um, you know, and it'll get better and he'll stabilise and you'll get your sleep during the night. And to think that you're never getting there, you feel like you're doing something wrong. You're thinking, well, why isn't he stabilising? Why why aren't I getting to sleep? And then, you know, I read what you're doing and I think, well, he's not getting any sleep either. He, You know, they're not going to stabilise, are they? That word doesn't right. exist with type 1. It, you know, they, they carry on swinging about unpredictably um you know year after year and i think year, once you so. accept that too you know there's it's kind of freeing in a way like you, you, when you're sitting around constantly thinking like when is this going to get better when is it going to normalize and it keeps not happening then it, c- it continues to feel like mm-hmm. a failure and a drudgery drudgery, drudgery. Mm-hmm. but once excuse me i lost my headphones for a second there we go can you hear me okay? Yeah, that's yeah. fine. But then but then once you sort of give yourself over to the idea, like, you know what, this is probably how it's going to be a lot of the time. Maybe not all the time, but some of the time. When when it becomes normal and accepted, it's almost like your brain doesn't fight it as much anymore. No, I think that's the day you, you move on and start enjoying every day. And when you, when you don't expect it to change and get better, you say, this is it, and, and we can... We can enjoy yeah. life like this. We don't have to wish it to be better. Right. Yeah. If someone comes along magically and cures it or comes up with some machine that makes it super easy, I'm, I'm not going to turn it down. But until then, <laughs> there's just no sense in in putting your head down constantly and saying to yourself, oh, my gosh, this I just need to get to the point like, you know, when when this gets easier. Now, some technology does make mm. it easier. I mean, there's there's no doubt. I'm sure you're sleeping. You have um, Teddy's using a Dexcom CGM, too. Yeah, nine months we've had it, so things have been better since um, then, yeah. But you're not able to get the share of that won't be available? No, I don't think we're going to get it at all here um, until... So So we're waiting for the Dexcom 
five, whenever that might be, which which what has sort of shared right. in it. It's I think it's um I mean it won't be for at least a year. Does the technology make it to you slowly? Yeah, I think so. Um I don't think the NHS here, which is the National Health Service, they don't put a lot of money into technology for type 1, um, and they don't seem to realise that investing the money at the beginning when children are young, before they become adults, will save them money in the long term when long-term complications might start costing them money. Um, so the technology, I think, does take longer to get here because there isn't really the market for yeah, it in the same way. It. And it is so true what you're saying too. Is it just, and I, I, you know, I think I've said before that not just not just for Teddy and not just for Arden do things like you know not just having to get out of bed to see what a CGM says. It's not just a benefit for them. It ends up being a benefit for you. They might save on your healthcare costs down the line too. And. You're right, there's not a lot of forward thinking. Either they don't see it, which I find difficult to believe, or they just sort of don't care, or it's not financially viable mm -hmm. to care. That's how it seems to me sometimes. Um, but so did Dexcom help you with your day-to-day -day and, and, um, you know, and, and you know, your outcomes, your, like your long-term outcomes? Are you seeing reductions in A1C and things like that? Yeah, it's helped a lot. Um, we were doing pretty well with the HbA1c because I, before Dexcom came along, I was up to 24 finger pricks a day. So 24 in 24 hours, which is why the hospital was complaining about how many finger um, test strips I was using because they cost a lot of money. But I knew the more tests I did, the better his levels were. You know, and I'd sort of see the pancreas works around right. the clock, doesn't it? So how can you sort of test 10 times a day and expect to have a brilliant outcome? So Dexcom has done what I wanted. It, it's it's given me the, 20, you know, around the clock view of what his blood sugar is doing. We've been able to cut down on, all, on the finger pricks. Um, the alarms are brilliant because they sort of stop things getting out of control some of the time. And, and it helps me get a bit more sleep. It's so nice to hear you talk about it because I think it would be easy for someone to come in from the outside and hear you say, I used to test 24 times a day and think, wow, she was paranoid or scared. But but that's not why you were doing it. I can hear in your voice, that's not why you were doing it. And and I used to do the very same thing. I didn't do as many tests, but I would test at very strange times where when we took our numbers into the to the doctor for our visit, she'd be like, oh my gosh, Arden's high every time you test her. And then I think she'd be expecting this crazy A1C and then it wasn't there. And mm -hmm. I told her, I'm like, don't even bother looking at those tests. Like that's me trying to figure out like what does food do to her or how long does insulin take to work? You know, I was, I think. You doing research. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was trying before having a CGM to be a CGM. I was trying to figure out yeah. how diabetes worked inside of her body. Now, that took a couple of years for me to figure out and it might not have been health health wise it may not have been great for Arden but it, you know in my defense I didn't know technology like this was going to come and so I was trying to figure out the best way I could for myself and it sounds like you were doing the exact same thing and you mm -hmm. were more brave about it because I could just ask my endo to write a script for more test strips if I needed them but you you 
you're you're dealing with the NHS. It's a it's a different. No, I got a hard time about yeah. it. Every time we had an appointment, they'd tell me to half. They'd say twelve is the max, mm-hmm. and I'd just say, well, he's not going to be healthy if I just do twelve. Um, and so I just kept on with it. <laughs> for you, that's excellent. And you know, they'd say all his poor little fingers, but. Teddy doesn't actually mind the finger pricks, and it is a shame for his fingers, but it, it's more of a shame if, if he suffers from long-term complications or has a severe hypo that um, I've missed because I haven't tested him. So Yeah, it, it really is. There's such a... There's such a... Um, I don't know what the word... I don't know why I'm struggling for such a simple word, but, but you really do want to... It feels It feels like if you're going to make a decision, I guess between a high and a low high seems safer but high just is safer for today it's not safer it's mm-hmm. not it's not really safer it's just you you're putting off a potential problem today for what'll probably be an absolute problem in the future and and i i really applaud you for doing that that's that's an that's an excellent parenting instinct and you didn't you didn't back down in the face of you know your government telling you otherwise and Good for you. Congratulations. A lot of people would have just said okay and done what they told them to do. But I know, but that's what's so sad because a lot of people do. Yep. And actually, you know, a parent probably knows best. Um, but a lot of people aren't probably achieving the HbA1cs that, that they could do if they were trusting their instincts, instincts and, and feeling, you know, that they did need to see the BGs more often. Well, of all the things medical that I've come across in my life, you know, to do with my children of all of them, the diabetes was the, it doesn't take you long to have more experience with it than the doctor who's talking to you about it. It it really doesn't. And after a while, you know, I, there's, I make changes now. I don't even think I tell my endo about changes. Like I don't wonder about, Oh, I wonder what she would think about this, or I wonder I should send an email. If I never think that way, I'm always like, mm-hmm. I was like, at this point, she doesn't have a child who has type one diabetes. She doesn't have type one diabetes. I'm going to do what I think is right, you know. And oh, wow, that's great. I'm really, I, I'm repeating myself, but I'm, I'm just really, I'm really proud of you because it's just not something you don't see a lot of people stand up like that all the time. So, um, okay, so Teddy's six now, and what? are your goals he's just starting school i would imagine uh no they he started school when he was uh just under five so he's been at school for um how long uh he's been at school for two and a half years so is that the same as here do you start in kindergarten and then go to first or yeah that's it they call it reception here and then first so he's in um he's in year two now actually okay that's great now how was that going and how do you find How's the school helping you or not helping you? The school has been brilliant from the very beginning. Um, we're really lucky. It's a very small school. There's only 70 pupils and there's only three teachers. But we're lucky that the head at the time then realised, even though she didn't know what type one was, she realised she had to act and get his care sorted out immediately. So he has one-to-one care, which has continued from the very beginning all the way through. He's got two different ladies who look after him. So they've both been there 
two years, I think, with him. So they're beginning now to pretty much make decisions without having to phone me up sometimes. Um, they're getting a real feel for it, which is just amazing because, you know, other than me and Tom, their dad, um, no one else knows how to look after him. Yeah, because so, I mean, with only 70 pupils, wow, that's something. There's, I think there's 23 kids in Arden's class. So, um, <laughs> and so when you came to them in the beginning and explained it, were they, were they right away like, we're in, just tell us what to do? Or did you find any kind of apprehension? Well, the hospital came in um, with me at the beginning to go through the sort of facts. Okay. Um, and, you know, everyone's got to sign something. Um, but they were clearly um, a bit shocked and worried about it. Yeah. Um, but since then, the, the sort of management's changed, staff's come and gone. And all the... the it's, well, as you know, he's he's very healthy and happy. So people just don't realise the danger and how critical the care is, and and that the care is required sort of every minute of every day. And I mean, it, it's not their fault if you if you said that to someone that you know that child needs care every minute of every day. And and they're standing there looking perfectly healthy and happy. It's really hard to believe, isn't it's it? It's very difficult to explain to someone who doesn't understand that. I I always used to tell them we're not planning for, um, you know, if something goes wrong. I said eventually something is going to go wrong. I was like you, and you're not going to stop it. Most likely, I need you to understand what to do when it happens. You know, like, like get it out of your head that you're trying to stop diabetes and keep it perfect all the time because we mm. can't do that. I need you. I mean, we'll try and I need you to understand that part of it too. But if something goes crazy, if there's a, a you know, a very low blood sugar or a super high one as lunch is coming on, like there's where I really need you to fluidly understand what to do. There's not a lot of time to be standing around and hand wringing and wondering what's next. Mm. Like I need you to instinctively figure out what's next. And it sounds like you're getting to a point now where they're starting to understand it in a way that you're very comfortable with them. How much longer will he actually be with those two ladies? Well, hopefully, uh, if they don't leave, he'll, he'll have them all the way through till he leaves school, uh, primary school. Um, the thing is, it's, it, his care is understand it in, you know, and, and they completely understand the seriousness of it. And, and they know how his mood affects it and his exercise affects it and the amount of learning he's doing affects it but the other staff don't realize that because they're not looking after him so they you know the people who make the decisions don't understand that so I feel like we I need to sort of I don't know how you get it to start at the top and filter down because um you know for example they 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 told us just before the Easter holidays they sent a letter home to all parents saying that they're going to be taking the kids swimming the whole school swimming mm-hmm. once a week on a Thursday. Can you please bring a towel and some swimming trunks? And I read the letter and I thought, how can they not have spoken to me about this before they sent this letter home? Because how can they think they can take Teddy swimming without discussing it with me? Right. And it just really made me feel well, I don't know, you know, sad and frustrated. Cause... It's disheartening because then you realize that they understand as much as they understand, but there's a whole other depth to it that they still 
that's completely foreign to them and their their minds aren't working in that next level they're hearing what you're saying and they're figuring out what they see but they don't think past that at all no and then you think oh here we go i've got to go in and sort of you know i'm gonna i'm gonna be that lady make a fuss and all that stuff that you do that um you know you don't want to do it but you you have to do it um but they they were brilliant i sent an email that night to the secretary it went to the head it went all around um action happened very quickly they realized that they needed to well that's good know, and to... so it wasn't like they didn't treat you like oh my gosh you don't you know you're a crazy person they were like oh how i i guess that is something we should have thought of and right away worked with you to work it out exactly and and i mean that they're, they're brilliant it's just i suppose for me i just thought you know as you do every so often, you think that's one child out of a whole school, and I wish he was normal, and I wish it was that easier, you know, just to pack to send a, a towel. Rucksack. Exactly, just to send a towel. But you know, and it just reminds you these little things every so often. They remind you, don't they, that you know they they are different. Yeah. You know, um, I guess Arden's growing because for the past about week and a half, her blood sugars have been really crazy overnight, you know, jumping up really high for no reason. It didn't matter. It felt like it didn't matter how much insulin I gave her for a while. I couldn't get her to come back down. And, you know, as you're doing it night after night, and then you realize like at some point it's going to stop or everything's going to go back to normal or she'll be low for three days or something like that. Mm. And finally it stopped the other night. And then it just flip flopped the other way. She, she, and I, I, I was like, you gotta be kidding. There wasn't even one night where I just slept through. It was like, then, you know, it went from like 11 o'clock at night, her blood sugar shot up. I fought with it till two o'clock at four o'clock. It shot up again. And then like, like the snap of a finger the next night at, at 11 o'clock, she's 50 and drinks a juice box. It doesn't change a thing. Like I shut her basal rate off. I gave her a juice box and I waited and 50 and, and nothing changed. So finally I had to, I said to my wife, I'm like, I have to give her food. Like the juice isn't going to do it. I think she could drink three of these juices. Nothing's going to happen. So now I'm feeding, like we keep, um, cereal on the side for like these really stubborn lows. She doesn't eat like box cereal, but I have some. So I unscrewed the... You mean like sugar? Yes, yeah, Fruit Loops. You know, like something that's guaranteed it would put my blood sugar up. Like it's guaranteed to put your blood sugar up. And I took this little cup full of Fruit Loops upstairs. And this is the first time I ever did this. I thought, she drinks juice in her sleep. I wonder if she would eat in her sleep. (laughs) Right? I was like, I might as well try. And no kidding, I held the cup in front of her and I said, I need you to eat these Fruit Loops. And she never woke up and ate them out of the cup. (laughs) And, and there was this moment where I was like, well, that's strange. It's really, I don't even know if I'm happy or sad about this. And then I walked into my bedroom and I just stood at the side of the bed before I got in. And Kelly said, Are you, what's going on? I said, I feel so sad about this at the moment. Like I usually don't get like that, like real melancholy and sad. I said, but I, I said, if this was a couple years ago, I'd be crying right now. I'm like, there was something so just heart-wrenching about watching her eat cereal in her sleep like I don't know how to put it exactly like it really Mm. just took it just took my breath away and it it Uh made me sad and so I stood there for a second and I was like I'm gonna be okay like I'm not gonna fall down this this like rabbit hole like I'm past this part you know what I mean like I don't I don't let this get to me 
but it was hard. I had to really, really fight through it. And and I know what you mean. Like, you know, just hearing, hey, just send a towel. They're going to go swimming and not being able to go, oh, Teddy, here's a towel. You're going swimming. Isn't that exciting? And start talking about, you know, we're going to have to make sure your Dexcom sensor's taped down and don't forget me, you know, setting basal rates and checking. It's just, oh my God. Like you just do want to say, I just want everything to be easy for a second and, and, and not just easy because, but normal, like, like, so that nobody has to think about it. And, um, it's, you know, most days it's easy to say this is our normal and, and I'm, you know, I I can handle it, but every once in a while, like it just, but it really does hit you in the face really starkly. And that was it for me the other night. It shut me off for a second. I just, I stood there and I really did want to cry. So I definitely know how you feel when the when the swimming note comes home. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, but it, it, so they have something worked out for swimming now. That all worked out okay. Just about. Um, but, but one of the the issues for me was that they're going to be at least like forty minutes away going on a coach. I'm working on that day of the week, so I do go on school trips because um, I've always sort of had a rule with myself that if his pod um, fails which happens at school quite often. Mm-hmm. He seems to bang it off desks a lot and it comes <laughs> off. Or if there's, <laughs> you know, if there's a bubble in the insulin, I like to know that I can be there within 15 minutes to change yep. it. And I said, if you're taking him swimming on a coach 40 minutes away, I can't be there in 15 minutes. And I also can't come with you every Thursday because I've got a job. Right. So I need to train someone up to do it. So that's what I've we've managed to squeeze in training. I've got one more session next week. Oh, good. So his carer will be able to change his pod if something happens, which is quite amazing because it's the only person out, you know, out, outside our family who, who's going to be able to do it. So that'll free me up from the school trips in the future as well. And it'll, it'll give you a little more. It, it's a little more of your. It'll, It'll give you the ability to let go a little more too. It'll be nice. It will, yeah. yeah. I know yeah. our art in school is. I, I I probably could pick up a baseball, throw it three times, and hit art in school from my house. So she's less than a half a mile away, and, oh, that's and so I still do. When her pods, um, error unexpectedly, it's usually static. So it usually happens in the winter time when the static electricity gets them. Really? Yeah, how does that happen? I just I don't know why, but the dry air or sweaters sometimes just when static runs over her. There was one year; it must have been the classroom she was in. For a good chunk of time in the winter, she had to she had to put a dryer sheet in her pocket, and mm-hmm. that kept the the omnipods from from um, erroring from from static. So, but I go over and change them. She could, but I do because I'm around. But I think yeah. that's this is going to be the last year for that. I really do want to – because I know she can do it now. I've seen her – I wrote about it recently. She can handle mm-hmm. it on her own. And I, I do want to that's, – that's the next kind of little step I'm going to give her. I'm going to say, hey, you know, the next time this happens, I'd like to see you take care of it. Like I'll come over the first time and hang out with you. But like let's see you do it by yourself. Like, you know, because like you said, you can't always be there. No. You know, so eventually. Although I've always, I mean, the thing is you can. I mean, I've, I have always been there and, and you, you would be there, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, you you're wouldn't. right, I would. But at the same time, it is amazing to have a little bit more freedom. And it's good for them too, because you're not going to yeah. change Teddy's pod for the rest of his life. So, you know, 
good, you know, first let him see that somebody else can handle it besides you and your family. And then one day he'll believe he can do it. And little by little, it, you know, it all becomes kind of second nature. I am, I'm a big proponent of giving, giving these responsibilities over slowly over time, not, not heaping things on all at once. Well, all right. So tell me a little bit about where you live because most of the people who are going to listen to this are from America. And so, you know, I don't know how I'm terrible at understanding geography. So I'll start with my own ignorance about the rest of the world. How far are you from England? Because I can, I can imagine England on a map. From England, we're in. I'm England. sorry, I meant London. Yeah. I looked, I London, looked away, okay. and, I, and my brain yeah. stopped working. How from you, London? You don't know. Yeah. Okay. London. Uh, we're two-hour car drive from London. Okay. All right. So two hours from London. You, you see, you, you're sort of out in the country. Um, yeah. What? But you're Scot. You're Scottish. Yeah. And is Tom? No, he's from London. Okay. And do you miss Scotland? Because my brother-in-law is from Scotland and he's here in America married to my wife's sister and all he talks about is going home. <laughs> um, I do a bit. I, I really love where I am now. Um, and I, no, I don't miss it. I'm, I'm proud of being Scottish. I'm glad I am, but... I think I'm in the right place now. Now, you understand that most of us are picturing that you live in a small cottage with a white trellis and there's flowers in a rolling field. Is that... Is, yeah, just is, about. Lots of sheep. No kidding. <laughs> Little lambs all being born around us at the moment. And you're not being sarcastic. Um, that's true? No. <laughs> I can see them out of the you window. You need to send me a photo. That's going to be... I'm going to use that <laughs> photo for the for this episode of the podcast. That That's going to be... Uh, that's what I'm going to use as the header image, if you please. Oh, that'd be wonderful. There isn't another house in sight. Oh, that um, sounds nice. Yeah. It is quite beautiful. Yeah. It, and it, it's, have you lived like that your whole life? Like kind of out in the middle of nowhere? No, we were in London five years ago. Um, I, I met Tom and... Um, moved to London to be with him and we had our two boys uh, Sonny and Teddy were born in London and then we moved into Norfolk which is the county into the countryside um, five years ago that really does sound nice I have to admit um, I, I'm painfully close to my neighbours so <laughs> <laughs> I've got very noisy children and I think that's because we we haven't had neighbours they they just I don't think we could live on a street now because they're just so noisy so because nobody tells them to no, be quiet you don't need to right happen. that's wonderful <laughs> do you have like regular house pets or do you have like a cow like what is it no we've this we've got horses out there and um, they're not ours but um We've got horses literally within a little hop across the gravel path. Three horses, uh, a little pony called Lady Gaga. Oh. Oh yeah. Um, Your life is way better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's pros and cons. This is, I'm sure that there's a lot of benefits from where you live too. Do you feel in? I'm. I'm sh- we can't get takeaway food. No, no one's driving a pizza to your house. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> when when Tom was away and you were home, did you feel extra isolated because of your of your geographic situation when Teddy was first diagnosed and has that gotten better or gone away? 
he since Teddy was diagnosed, we've Tom's always been in the same place as with us. Yeah, we we all moved out of London together, so he doesn't. Luckily, he he works from home, okay. so he's never. I don't think I've ever been on my own overnight with Teddy, okay. which is brilliant. Yeah, it, there's nothing like being how how in, um having some support there. How involved? How do you split up the um the diabetes duties? Are is it? Do, does one of you handle it more than another or is it pretty even or what do you guys do i i do it really um because he works full time long hours and i i do work but i work part time and i can get away with having less sleep cuz i don't have to um you know achieve quite so much during the day and i think as i've read you've said before about you and kelly but once one person's doing more of it, then that person's sort of better at doing more of it because you've got all the history, you've got you've got what happened earlier on in the day to influence the decisions you're making in the evening, and um, and it, it is it's quite a hard thing to juggle because you don't want to have all the power because then when you're handing over and you want an afternoon off or something, you don't want to you know you, you want. I want Tom to sort of know as much as I do. Um, so, but, you know, we do, over weekends, we, we do share quite a lot, okay. but I'm pretty much the, the main carer. I make all the decisions on um, food and bolusing and carbs. I do all the basal programs, make all those adjustments. Yeah. So Yeah, I, I feel completely comfortable, like, you know, with my wife being with my daughter and taking care of the diabetes, I think nothing of it ever, but still there's still the first couple of hours when you're away, you do. And now the share, I can see it on my phone. Like I, I, you know, <laughs> I, my, my son had a baseball game early this, my wife's sick. So my wife's home today, sick and she's trying to sleep in and Arden, the kids have off from school. They have a spring break. And Arden said, yeah. Arden said, I do not want to go to Cole's baseball game this morning. Let me sleep. So I got up early and I kind of manipulated her basal rate a little bit to pump her blood sugar up to about 130 so she could sleep in. And um, I went off and I watched I watched Cole play baseball. And I looked down at my phone a couple times and I sent Arden a text at one point. I said, you should bowl us a half a unit. And the text I got back was, I'm with mom. <laughs> and I think that means stop looking at my blood sugar. You're not here. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine having share because you could sort of meddle, couldn't yeah, you? It, it was interesting because I because <laughs> I knew what was going on. Like I know how she gets, you know, on on these days she stays home. She ends up eating later. She doesn't have an earlier <laughs> meal, and her her blood sugar will end up getting resistant. Like it'll float around one fifty yeah. around eleven o'clock. But if you don't start giving her more insulin when she goes to eat lunch, it'll be it'll be really difficult. So I'm like, just throw a half a unit on that because it'll. It'll probably knock it down to like 130, and at least there'll be some insulin going when you eat. Yeah, and she was a little like, I don't need your help, buddy. I'm here with mom. And I was like, oh, okay. So uh, it, it, it's, it is really great, but at the same time, it reminded me that I don't really need to be watching this. You, you know, mm -hmm. like she's fine. They don't need me. So, um, you know, I, I definitely think that's a, that's a good deal. And Tom understands it enough that if you if you had to leave, you feel like he could handle it. Yeah, I wouldn't want him to have to do an overnight because um, it is pretty full on most nights. And I'm, I think you get used to it, the, the sort of the sleep thing. Um, I mean, I, I maybe, maybe, I don't know if, what it's like for you, but 
because I had, um, you know, three kids mm. and I was up during the night feeding all of yeah. them for much longer than a lot of children because my children never wanted to sleep. Mm. Um, so I've had all that training um, and I just got a really good knack of getting up, doing what I have to do and going back to sleep straight away. And so even though it's broken sleep, I can just go back to sleep really quickly, which I think is a bonus. Whereas I know that if Tom is getting up, he'll then lie awake because he can't get back to sleep. And it's just sort of torturous, yeah. isn't it? If for me, it's not that I could go back to sleep, but I'm not good at waking up. So I end up staying up until things are settled. And that mm, ends up that ends up really killing me. And I have to admit, in the first nice. few years, I was okay. Like I, I really did feel like I was like, oh, this isn't too bad. Uh, you know, after you get the initial kind of shock of broken sleep wears off. Mm. But now a couple years, I'm a couple years older, and I've been at it a little longer. And this this Dexcom share came along just in time. It really did because uh, it's really saving me. I mean, not not mm. having to get out of bed. Like I mentioned it in the last episode when I was talking to Isabella's parents. But just not having to get out of bed, walk across the house to see a blood sugar that you realize, oh, my God, I didn't even need to see this. You, mm. you know, like that's it, it's a huge lifesaver for me. It really is. I just think being able to let Arden sleep in and me go downstairs and work on something and not have to sneak into her room a thousand times mm, is I such know. a great benefit. You know, it, it really is. The technology is is growing in leaps and bounds and I can feel it helping on the health side and I can feel it helping on the life side. It, it's uh, it's pretty exciting actually. But I think you're right. When we went to um, Teddy's diabetes clinic uh, last month, the, the doctor said, um, she said, you need to look after yourself as well. We were talking about the nights and the sleep and you know, she said, you can't make, get ill because you're not getting enough sleep because you won't be any good for him. And, you know, you need to keep reminding yourself that, that you can't get ill yourself because you won't be any use, will you? And, and you, know, you know, it's funny because when you can make a cognizant decision about it, it's, it's what she said completely right. You hear it and it makes 100% sense. And then you see a blood sugar that's 160 and you think, well, if I could just get it down to 120, mm -hmm. you know, for overnight, that would be a big deal. And, and, and so I'll stay up an extra hour for that because I do want, I do want that kind of situation for my kid. I want her to have a more, you know, uh, to sleep in a, in a healthier way for the next couple of hours. But then something will happen where I get completely exhausted. And it did, it happened to me last week. I was, I was so bleary eyed tired and I thought I could do it and I didn't. And I passed out at like one o'clock in the morning and I woke up at like seven o'clock in the morning and Arden's blood sugar was 250 overnight the whole night. And I woke up so conflicted because I was heartbroken, like really genuinely heartbroken mm. that I let her blood sugar stay that high for seven I know, hours. I feel so bad, oh don't you? <laughs> and at the same time, I thought, I did really need this though. You know, I really, I bet you felt brilliant. Having I, I was as I could, I felt like I could have climbed up the outside of the house. I felt so rested just from seven yeah. straight hours of sleep. No, it's amazing. But, but it's... you know what I mean? Like these, but the feelings are banging around inside of you. You're like, Oh my God, I let her blood sugar be two fifty all night when I could have stopped it. And I, I do my best to fight these thoughts away and I don't have them very often, but I do remember thinking, like how many minutes off the back end of Arden's life did it cost me to sleep last night? And mm -hmm. that's a difficult feeling to shake. 
even though your doctor's a million percent right, if you don't take care mm. of yourself, you're not going to be around long term to help Teddy. But good luck not having that feeling like that, that, you know, my daughter's going to live to 84 years old and this many days and this many hours. And I sold, I sold one day off the end of that so I could sleep last night. And but you know, one night doesn't, make I know. That much oh, difference. I, listen, I, I under, I completely <laughs> understand that, but it's still just in the back of my head, like a little tapping, like I can feel it after a night like that, you know, like, like what, like, mm-hmm. what did you do? Like, you can almost hear a voice in your head go like, what did you do to her last night? And, and that's something that no one could understand unless they're the parent of a child or somebody who's living with type one diabetes, that those are the yeah. kind of thoughts that you have that, that, that are realistic and, and, and you do your best to keep them out, but they, they do sneak in sometimes, no matter how well you, you do with putting walls up and trying to keep them away. Well, Teddy gets sore legs when he's high. And he, from, from diagnosis, he'd say he's got sore mm-hmm. legs because of high blood sugar. So that's what happens if he's had a high night. He'll, he'll wake up in the morning and say his legs are sore. Yeah. And that, that's really sad because um, they used to be really, really painful when, you know, at diagnosis when he was so high. So I can, I mean, it does affect him physically yeah. when he's got high blood sugar. Yeah, Arden had the same thing. We had, we would up all night long rubbing their legs and like crazy pain and, and mm. crying from it. And we don't seem to get that so much anymore. Yeah, it's just, it's that idea too that, you know, like you and I are talking right now, like this is who we are, right? And our bodies are keeping the sugar in our blood at a certain level. If we were to get lower um, or higher, you know, it starts affecting, you know, your reaction times or, or you know, if you get foggy or, or dizzy and and then suddenly you're not you. And and I, part of me feels like it's my job to make sure that Arden can be herself as much of the day um, as possible. You know, like, so she, it's not just physically though, is it? It's mentally, mentally right. as That's well. Exactly and what emotionally. I mean. Yeah. Like, like she's, you know, <clears throat> if she's high for three hours, is she not experiencing the world the way she would if she wasn't, if her blood sugar was at a good range? And I think the answer is yes to that. And so mm. that's a pressure. And at the same time I need to sleep and, and it is a juggling act that, that I don't know that any of us are going to completely ever figure out, but, but I do know that I don't beat myself up, you know, when something doesn't go right. But it is hard to keep the thought out of your head initially when it happens. So, you know, it's a it's a constant struggle, I think, to to keep those thoughts at bay. Well, oh, we can't end on something so bummy. We're coming up on an hour. I can't stop on this. So here's been the most fun. You've said I'm going to try to now to use the word brilliant. I think everyone who listens to this podcast is going to try to say brilliant when they think something's great from now on. Cause that was amazing. Um, do you not say brilliant? No? I no, no, I no. don't, not in that context. Um, and what else did you say that was great? Um, I don't know. There were so many, like you said, pupils. I never would have said pupils. I would have said students <laughs> now, but you are, so my, I don't know exactly where my brother-in-law is from, but but his name's Jim, and actually he has type two if in, if he's listening. Um, but Jim is from Scotland, and you're not going to ask me if I know him. No, 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 no. What I'm going to tell you is is that when he's speaking, I have to stare directly, and he's been in America for a long time. I have to stare directly at his mouth and try my hardest because in the end, if I don't look at him, what it sounds to me like is this is how he sounds to me. He goes, "Aye, yay, aye." Like that's what I think he sounds like most of the time. And then he'll talk really, really quickly and then use phrases that I'm not used to hearing and then just say I a lot. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm not quite so scared. <laughs> and then I think, oh my God, how thick it is. And then once I heard him on the phone with his father and I realized that wasn't anything. When they, when they speak to each other, it just sounds like a bunch of noises to me. So does your accent change when you call home? No, but I've been in England for quite, I left, I think I left home when I was 18 to go to art school and that was in England and I think I was quite impressionable at that age and I started to change my voice a bit, just fit in, I think. Mm -hmm. So um, it's definitely diluted. You sound much more British to me than Scottish, you know, in, in yeah. my, so I'm now thinking that I'm going to, I'm going to call my brother-in-law over Skype and get him to do an introduction for this podcast so everybody can see how how unintelligible his accent is. Um, and I want to tell you that one more time that, that a, a lot of people read my blog, but you send like updates to me like we're related and they mean the world to me. Like I get, I get updates about Teddy and they're just, they're heartwarming and I can't believe, I still, I struggle to believe that any of that success that you're having comes from something that I shared, but I, I really appreciate that you let me know about it because it is sometimes very lonely to write onto the internet and not hear back from anybody. And, um, mm. and it, it somehow means even more to me for some reason, because it's coming from England. I don't know why that's just my, my silly American feelings about the world. I guess that you seem so much farther away than, than anyone else, which is ridiculous because you know, we're all, you know, we're all just the internet away from mm. each other at this point. And, um, but thank you very much for, for letting me know how he's doing. And I, and I want to, that's okay. But I think for Teddy himself, um, cause we didn't know anyone with type one when he was diagnosed, mm. I could show him a Arden. I could show him a picture on your blog and say, she's got type one and, and you've got images of her with her on when she's much younger. Right. With her Omnipod. And, and, and I think for Teddy, that meant a lot. Because he could see her smiling and, you know, it, he, somebody was like him. Um, it didn't matter to him where she was. He doesn't understand, I don't think, that she's in America. But um, it, it's always been really good for him because I can see Arden's doing this and Arden's doing that. And, and I think he, he likes it because yeah. it's, you know, someone else with type 1. It's just, it's really great to know that that, that can happen because like I'm trying, I'm reaching out now, I'm trying to interview this softball player from Minnesota who has type one. I don't know if I'm going to get a hold of her or not, but, but because I want to do the same thing for other people. Like I know that seeing her compete collegially at a really high level lets other people look and say, oh, look, Mike, look at her doing that. Like my son or daughter will be at that age at one point and they'll be able to do it. It's just such a big deal to, mm -hmm. to have someone that you can look at and say, wow, they're doing it. I can do it too. And, and I'm mm -hmm. just very happy to be that person that, that Arden can be that person for Teddy and, and that may be me for you, but, but, um, you know, it just means a lot to me. So thank you very much. That's pretty much, I think we're kind of, it's about an hour. Try to keep it about an hour. So is there yeah. anything else that you want to talk about? Did I miss anything? No, I don't think so. You were really fantastic. Thank you so much. <laughs> Well, thanks. It's been really nice to have a chat.